It's so exciting. You and me, you and me road trip. Let's let's make it happen. We've already we've already done one <laughs> one road trip to see a to see a team. Let's let's, let's make let's it happen. Do it. Let's one. do it. Let's do it. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation. Interviews and insight from this week in Cougar Sports. Every Saturday, only on BYU Radio. To lead off, here's the double coverage interview of the week. And it is our pleasure to make this an even better Friday. Well, at least I've been me. asking, like, we never make time for him. And I'm like, what's the problem? He played in and won a Super Bowl, caught a touchdown pass. It's our homie, Dennis Pitta. And reveal. Dennis. What up, Doc? Hey, Dennis Pitt is on how, the show. How are we doing, man? The second greatest number 32 in BYU history. What a reveal. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, second greatest football player, number 32? Well, Todd Christensen, wasn't he Wasn't he 32? Uh, he was in the Ra- with the Raiders. Was Todd 33 was or 32 at BYU? at BYU? I think he was 33. So I don't I know. You're, you're in the clear, I think. Was he 33? Yeah. Okay. I all think right. you're in the clear. Yeah, I just know you're not number one. We all know Jimmer. We all know Jimmer was better than me. I mean, because yeah. you can totally compare basketball to football. It makes perfect sense. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, thanks for coming hey, on, you man. Guys it was must, good to see you. I was going to say, you guys must be really hurting for content if you're allowing me to come on the show. <laughs> well, well, th- this what's week What's going has on with been... BYU basketball? Is it a down year or what's going uh, on? Okay, you know what? Too soon. Uh, too soon. <laughs> Let's start with the a hard-hitting question. From last night. Are you done living at your parents' house yet? I know you're building a house. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm done living at my parents' house. We moved into our own home. Yes! Finally, the Pittas are homeowners. Thank you very much. Uh, feels good. I am currently at my in-laws' house, sitting in the little corner of our guest bedroom right here. Because um, we are in Arizona this weekend. And you're probably thinking, oh, he's going to the Super Bowl because it's in Arizona. No, I'm going to a wedding tomorrow. So um, I will not be attending the Super Bowl. Here's the thing. When you, like, play in the Super Bowl and you catch a touchdown in the Super Bowl, like, I'm not going to just attend the Super Bowl and park with all the other yahoos and battle all that kind of stuff. <laughs> the rim stands. Rap. I mean, I've, I've been accustomed to a certain lifestyle at this point, and I'm not going to just go back and just attend a Super Bowl like everybody else. Like, if you were living in your parents' house, like, maybe you're with the common folk. <laughs> I mean, it felt, yeah, it, it might felt appropriate if I didn't have my own home, but now I'm a homeowner, so... Yeah. Congratulations. I, uh, I, I'm above all that, of course. Yeah. Can we get Dennis Pitta a suite at the Super Bowl already? I know. My daughter was <laughs> asking on. me about it last night. I go, no way. I go, Vanna, let's look on stuff up right now. The cheapest <laughs> ticket's like 3500 bucks. Come on now. Yeah, it's super yeah. cheap. Yeah. They're not handing out suites like no. that at the Super Bowl. I don't care who you are. Yeah. Dennis, can you believe it's been basically a decade? I mean, it, since you caught that touchdown in the Super Bowl? Like, what? I, 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 just, I couldn't believe. I was like, has it really been 10 years since you played in that game? Um, how do you feel and what are your emotions like every time the Super Bowl rolls around each year? Yeah, it's it, it, ha- it hasn't felt like 10 years, that's for sure. But um, I guess the 10-year mark has sunk in a little bit because we've had um, a number of things this year with the Ravens. We had our Super Bowl reunion, our 10-year reunion. We went out um, back in October and and did a whole weekend where they had a you know Super Bowl party with all the old members of the team, and they they did a whole thing at, before the game and at halftime. And so we had an awesome weekend, being able to to get that group back together. And um, you know we had everybody out there, Ray Lewis and Ed Reed, and, and everybody that was uh, that's since been retired. I think the only guys we didn't have there were were some of the guys that were currently playing, which you know it was Joe Flacco and and Justin Tucker is about the only two. So 
it was awesome to see all of those dudes and, and guys you don't even remember were on the team. I mean, you have like, you know, 60 something guys with practice squad and, and, you know, being able to see those old faces and, and reconnect and talk about all those, those stories and, and all that was awesome. So I've had certainly some time to reflect this year on, on that Super Bowl and, and the fact that it has been 10 years since that happened. And um, it's pretty special. And I think every year you, you get farther away from that game, you appreciate it even more. And uh, being able to look back and, and realize what we accomplished and, and understanding how difficult it is to not only make the Super Bowl, but to win a Super Bowl. Because I've got friends that are still in the league and, and, and trying to get their first Super Bowl. You know, one of my good friends is Kyle Juszczyk, the, the 49ers fullback. And um, they went to a Super Bowl a couple of years ago and they lost. And they, you know, looked like they were uh, set to go back this year and, and then lost <laughs> in, in quite a uh, in quite the fashion against the Eagles in, in that NFC championship game. But it's just such a difficult game to get into and uh, and certainly one to win. And so I appreciate it every year that this time rolls around and, and you see these teams battling to get in it and know that there's only one winner. The Super Bowl is educational in more ways than one. How would we ever remember Roman numerals without it? And then my uh, question <laughs> for true. you is, do you, did you keep the ball? Like in the moment when you catch it, did you give it back to the ref or did you keep it? So I, I didn't keep it. And I like – the one thing I regret from that game is that moment because I caught the ball and I'm not even thinking about the fact that it's the Super Bowl and I want to keep this ball and, and all that. And so I don't even know what happened to the ball. I chucked the ball and no, I'm jumping up on the linemen and they're celebrating with guys. And, you know, I think we took a 14-0 lead or 14-3 lead, something like that at that point. And so we were rolling and we had a ton of momentum. And, uh, you know, you score a touchdown in the Super Bowl, you're not thinking about anything but celebrating. And um, so I don't know where that ball ended up, but fortunately I, I don't have to, you know, think of everything myself. One of our equipment guys went and grabbed the ball for me. Nice. Brought it back to the sideline. Awesome. So I have the ball. It's inscripted with, with the Super Bowl, the logo, all those Roman numerals. We were XLV one, one Super Bowl 47. Yep. And so that's a lot of that's a lot of Roman numerals. <laughs> I know. There. I was just looking at them like the X for the L means forty, the V means five, the I yeah. I means one. Yeah. Is that yeah, football? I still don't understand it, but that's what we were. There's time. There's time. Now, is that football the greatest memento that you own in your collection of everything that you have gathered through your professional career and whatnot? Um. Yes, the greatest. Well, no. I take that back. I would say the Super Bowl ring is the greatest memento. Uh, yes. Good call. Yes. That I have. Good call. Um, it's it's a little bit flashier than the ball, that's for sure. <laughs> but um, the ball's pretty cool. I mean, the, the ball will be proudly displayed in my office once I get everything unpacked. Once you have, <laughs> we're still we're up. still in a state of total chaos at our yeah. house. But um, I do have an office and I have a nice place to display it. So I will, uh, it will be making its way up on the shelf there shortly. But um, yeah, I would say the Super Bowl ring. I mean, the, the ring is, is everything when you win the Super Bowl. And, uh, but, but, you know, the ring's more of a team thing from an individual standpoint, being yeah. able to have a, a touchdown ball and, and scripted and all that. It's pretty cool. Do you wear the ring? Do you break it out? Is it in a case? Like, why don't you have it on right now? Uh, well, I don't have it with me. It's, uh, it's in California. I, uh, I'm in Arizona, but I don't wear it everywhere. Shockingly. Um, it's not, 
the uh, you know, it's not very inconspicuous. When I have it on, it, it stands out quite a bit. Just wear it to sacrament. It's a little, it's a little loose too. I, I think I had it fitted for my my right ring finger, uh-huh. um, and I've lost a little bit of weight since I played, and so it's a little bit loose. My knuckles are less jammed too than when I was playing football all the time. So um, it's a uh, yeah, it's um, it's definitely not something I wear all the time. Knuckle jamming Dennis Pitta joins uh, BYU Sports Nation. Um, in terms of the game this week, who who you who you got? Eagles or Chiefs in this one? Well, I like the Eagles in this game. To be completely honest, I think I'll be rooting for the Chiefs, so I'm a little bit torn. I I, I lean towards the Eagles because I think the Eagles are better in the trenches. And, and in games like this, when nerves are high and, and the execution in the passing game might not be as crisp as you, you would normally see in most games or whatever, whatever the case, I think the game is always won and lost in the trenches. And the Eagles have one of the best offensive lines in the whole league, if not the best. Um, and defensively, on the defensive line, you know, one of the best. And so... I think in a game like this, I think the, the team that controls the line of scrimmage the best is going to win, and, and that would be the Eagles for me. But, again, I, I'm an Andy Reid, you know, fan, and, and um, you know, Mahomes, and, and the style of football that they play is just so appealing and, and so fun to watch. And so I, I'll probably be rooting for the Chiefs, but if, if I'm going to pick and put money on anything, which I'm not, uh, it would be the Eagles. Dennis Pitt is with us on BYU Sports Nation. It is Super Bowl week, and we have had a number of Super Bowl performers join us, including Chad Lewis, another former BYU tight end. Dennis, we talked to Chad about his emotions, and he was on the losing side with the Eagles under Andy Reid, and he kind of talked about how difficult that was. But he also discussed making the transition from the chaos of the week into the actual game and how difficult that can be. How were you and the Ravens able to do that? With just the, it is a circus at media day. That's the best way I can explain it. Until it's crazy, but then you got to go play a game and block out all the distractions. How were you and the Ravens able to do that? Yeah, it's not easy because there's a ton of distractions, and you know the first, you know the first week because you have a two week gap between the championship games and, and the Super Bowl. The first week is very normal. You're at your facility. You go through a normal week of practice. There's not much media. It's a very standard structured week. And then you get to the host site. And for us, it was New Orleans, which in itself is is crazy. But <clears throat> you're there and, and the first probably three or four days you're there, it's the media frenzy is insane. And you have these blocked out media times where you're sitting up on a podium and you have millions of people asking you questions from everywhere, from I can't tell you how many interviews I did in, in Spanish. You have all these Mexican TV uh, stations that are up there. And somehow they found out that I went on a Spanish-speaking mission and spoke Spanish. And so I'm doing interview after interview in Spanish. And so everybody that's been on a, a Spanish-speaking mission or a foreign language mission, you, you know um, you know, a lot of terms. They don't play football in the Dominican Republic. I did not know a lot of the football terms oh, yeah. in Spanish. So I really struggled in those interviews. And so, I mean, I could have talked about the gospel all day long with those reporters, but they were asking me football-specific questions, and that was very difficult to answer. <laughs> I, did not have, I did not have the vocabulary in Spanish for football. And so uh, I did a bunch of those. I remember at one point I'm up on the podium, and, and I have Boy Scouts of America are there asking me 
of course, I was an Eagle Scout. Of course. And so they're yeah. asking me to tie all these different knots and all this kind of stuff. <laughs> at one point, I had I had a wig with purple hair on it. I mean, <laughs> I don't even know what happened, but it, it's crazy. You know, Food Network is there asking. Like, Food Network. I didn't even know they, they knew what the Super Bowl was over there. <laughs> and... You know they're uh, you know they're asking you questions on the podium, so it's it is just crazy. And you also get a sense during that week of how big the Super Bowl is when you have media outlets from all these different countries, from all these different networks, you know things that don't even pertain to sports, and they're there interviewing you. I mean, it's a big deal. And it, so reality sets in a little bit that second week, like oh, holy crud, this is a big deal, and this is an important game, and everybody's going to be watching, and so it puts even more pressure on you. And your anxiety levels go up a little bit more, um, and it's it's a nerve-wracking week for sure, and uh, and so you just you just deal with it, you do it, and, and fortunately we did it apparently pretty well. I don't know what our secret was, but we came out and we were on fire at the beginning of that game, and then anybody who remembers that game will remember we went up 28 to six. We returned the opening kickoff of the second half to go up 28 six, had all the momentum in the world. We're ready to just run away with the thing, and. Uh, Roger Goodell and the NFL turned the lights off in the Superdome. <laughs> hey, that Bill. And killed our momentum. And uh, football is such a game of momentum. And so, uh, you know, for, for 45 minutes, we were sitting on the field with no lights. And the lights came back on. We got a brief period to warm up. And then we were back in the game. And, and that's when the 49ers grabbed the momentum and, and, and stormed back into that game and made it a game. Unfortunately, we, we held on for the win. But um, what a crazy... And I was, I, I've done a ton of interviews the last couple of weeks with, with um, Ravens um, radio people and all kinds of different stuff because, you know, th this is the 10-year reunion, like sure. I mentioned before, for that game. And so there's, there's a lot of stories being told out there. And so um, I was just saying the other day about this game in particular, um, what was so difficult about that 45-minute delay and just how that game played out is our offense, I think the last time we took the field in that game was in the second quarter with like two minutes left. And we were off the field. And then you have an extended halftime because of the halftime show. So a normal NFL halftime is like 10 minutes. This was like a 30-minute halftime, which, you know, three times longer, which is crazy. So you have a 30-minute halftime. And then we came out. We returned the opening kick. We were supposed to get the ball back. Um, and then they get the ball. I think they ran a couple of plays. It was third down. The lights go out. So it had been about a two-hour to a two-and-a-half-hour time period wow. between the last time our offense took the field and when we finally were able to get back on. And in the course of a game, especially the Super Bowl, a two-and-a-half-hour time a break in a game, like it, it's a completely different game at that point. And I think that was what was most difficult for us to handle. And so we made a couple of mistakes when we came back out offensively, and I think we had a fumble, and you know, defensively we missed some tackles. Anyways, that game was just was crazy for that blackout. I mean, I've never been in a game where there was <laughs> the lights went out ever. High school, peewee football, I mean, what, you name it. And in the Super Bowl, in the biggest game of the entire year, the lights go out for 45 minutes. I mean, you tell me what happened. Wild. You tell me if that was accident or not. <laughs> the conspiracy theorist Dennis Pitta with <laughs> <laughs> Sports Nation. As we say goodbye, I'm going to need you to do a couple of things. I'm going to need you to look up encroachment and illegal procedure in Spanish so that you're better prepared for those interviews <laughs> next time. I do not know those words. Still like, today, I don't know any of those words. I know that touchdowns are true. You know? Uh, Dennis, great to catch in up with crocho, you. Encrocho, I think that's what I said. <laughs> it's great to catch up with you. Awesome stories. Uh, enjoy the wedding tomorrow in Arizona and the Super Bowl over the weekend. We'll talk again soon, man. 
That was one of our favorite interviews this week. You're listening to the best of BYU Sports Nation. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. Oh, the power of returning production. Or is it a power metric? BYU football last season coming into the 2022 campaign, one of the best in the country when it came to returning production. Number one. This time around, BYU largely middle of the pack, Jerem. So my question for you is, based on what happened last season when you were tops in the country, 97% returning production, BYU goes 8-5, and five, there's a little bit of a disappointing feeling. Well, now BYU's in the middle of the pack. So when you look at the returning production numbers, how much stock do you put into the returning production metric? Well, let's add to the fact that after 2020, going into 21, BYU was last in the country. Yeah, they had nobody. They had nobody coming. And Tyler Algier, basically. Uh, so I put very little because BYU went 10-3 uh, and three off of last in returning production. And then BYU at one point was 4-5, and five, saved it with you know four wins in a row. That was nice. To get to 8-5 and five with the most in the country. Depends what that production is and depends how healthy they are and how effective they are. There were, there were guys that came back last year that weren't very effective, um, some of which transferred. And, you know, you have guys that return that you're excited about. Just because – I've said this before, but just because someone comes back doesn't mean they're good or even that they'll be better. Sometimes they're worse. Um, and with the transfer portal and how big of a deal that is, you can inject – all kinds of life into a team immediately. BYU's doing that at several notable skill positions like we've chronicled with Keaton Slovis and Aiden Robbins and others. So I had to put a lot of stock into it. Like Kansas is number two in the country in returning production. That doesn't mean they're going to win eight games. They're Kansas. Like this year they started 4-0 and then kind of struggled. And yes, they went to a bowl game. It was better. But it's not hard to make a bowl game. You have to be completely mediocre to make a bowl game. Go, yeah, yeah. go six and six. So I don't put a lot of stock into this. Is it exciting one way or the other? No, because we've seen the two ends of the spectrum from BYU, and it didn't really matter that much. Typically, uh, the values of returning production are different based on position. Okay, so I, like if you return a high-level quarterback, then yeah, I'm going to put a little bit of stock into that. Oh, yeah, that guy's coming back? Great. I mean, look at some of the Pac-12 quarterbacks that are coming back for crying out loud. I mean, the entire, like, entire Pac-12 is basically bringing back their – starting quarterbacks, including the Heisman Trophy winner. Well, USC has Caleb Hayes coming back. You put any stock into that? Yeah. Williams, that's a yeah. high – Caleb Williams, yeah. yeah. That's a high-level returning production position, right? Certainly Heisman and quarterback, yes. <laughs> that, that, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't put that Bo, in, like, the regular Bo, rotation. Bo Nix and Michael Penix at Washington and sure. Cam Rising at Utah. Let, well, let's use one of our own. Like, Keaton Slovis came back in 20 and 21. That, that's where I'm going. Wasn't very great with that, USC. Yeah. Was hurt. Um, you know, and so there's different elements that come to that. I, I don't know. Like, the question we were really asking ourselves is, how much can we assume based on that number? Not a ton. And that's where I was going. So, bringing up those quarterbacks, now I look at Keaton Slovis, who has had some highs and certainly some lows and dealing with injuries. And the Pittsburgh situation didn't work out for him. So, I, I'm more concerned about the returning production and uh, if that will manifest itself in a better way. Like, will, will Keaton Slovis healthy help BYU's middle-of-the-pack production And better offense number? that suits him. 
Sure. Jordan Addison left suddenly to USC. Like the OC Mark Whipple bounced. So many different things went. He was hurt the wrong like, way. Like John Beck told us, like he had a back injury. Like and then he had a sore arm at USC. Like is Aaron Roderick returning and Fessy returning a bigger deal than any of the players? Continuity. I, I think I, so. I I think so. Continuity and on the offensive staff. That yeah. certainly helps. It doesn't mean you're going to be good or bad though, because every year Nick Saban is replacing his, his coordinators. Because they're so good, they get a head coaching job somewhere. Well, he's also so, bringing in 12 five-stars every year in his recruiting class, and that's to his and credit. He's br- and he's bringing in a capable coordinator every year. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, who doesn't want to coach with Nick Saban knowing what typically happens? I think a lot of people don't. Coach, well, if you coach with Nick Saban, with Nick. you get a head coaching job. Yeah. So it's like, hey, put up with him for a couple of years. Be well, awesome. year. <laughs> or one like year. One year. And, and go get a head good. coaching yeah. job. Yeah. It's interesting. So I don't know. BYU's number 70, and apparently yeah. they're factoring in some transfer portal metrics to this returning production now. So Keaton Slovis is in the metric where BYU's 70th in the country. So just of all the dudes. But it's based on his last year. Wherever. Like, we don't, we don't know. Did anybody in the have any clue that Max Duggan was going to do what he did at TCU? No, that's why, that's why sports are awesome. Like, we're it's not the exactly ultimate sure. reality yeah. television scenario. Yeah. So I know, there's some stock if you bring back, like, elite level players at skill positions. Yeah. Then you, you expect you, there's expectations there. But for this BYU, BYU team. BYU does not. Like, we, we hope that Aiden Robinson and Keaton Slovis translate, right, into BYU. That's why but it's like, I don't know. We're not staring at Puka returning. We're not staring at Tyler Algier coming back another year, right? No. And if Chris Brooks was coming back, we would be like, all right, need to be a 1,000-yard guy, need to be a 10-touchdown guy. We probably expect that. We're all projecting. If you're healthy the whole time. It's, it's what we do. It's, it's all we can do at this point. But I, I put the over-under for BYU at 7.5 wins, largely based on my belief that Keaton Slovis is going to have at least a little bit better of a year than he had at Pittsburgh last year, primarily because we think he's going to be healthy. If it's just a little bit better, it's not good enough. He's got to be vastly improved from that for BYU to have any kind of success. Hey, reg- regardless, he's behind an offensive line that I have seen for a few years. Some guys I've seen for a few years in, in that regard. I trust them. I-, I feel like I know what I'm going to get from BYU's offensive line. Frankly, BYU's offensive line last year still delivered, Jerem. Like they, they, oh, they were the pro maybe the best metrics, ever. Like, Spence, they, they delivered. delivered. They delivered. They were maybe right? the best O-line well, BYU's ever like, had. Well, it's, at one point in the season, we're like, how come BYU can't establish a run game? They're good in pass blocking. How come they can't get the run game going? And Kalani Satake in week five or six said, at some point you can't just blame the offensive line. you got to blame the guys that are The t- running backs were rock. only getting what was blocked right? for. They weren't earning more. Like if it was blocked for three yards, they were getting three yards. They, they obviously coming off of Tyler Algier, that juxtaposition is stark. Sure. I mean, I'm going to put some stock into what I feel like I know about this team, which is they have three reliable pass catchers, a reliable tight end, a pretty reliable offensive line, enough pieces coming back there, and a quarterback that I think is going to have a better season than he had against Pittsburgh. So 70 feels fair. All that said, 70 kind of feels fair. Like middle of the pack, I don't know. Well, 70 isn't an opinion rating. It's just based on the number. So it's just whatever. In terms of expectations, like – BYU's middle of the pack. Like, that's kind of – I feel like that's kind of where my expectations are, like in the middle somewhere. These two are not connected to me whatsoever. Yeah. BYU could be number one in returning production, and I would say, yeah. It wouldn't affect your expectations? Hopefully they get seven wins. It, it affected your expectations last year just like it did mine, though. Yeah, but I've learned things since that's information what I'm saying. has okay, happened. So it's, like, you're, you're a, you're BYU a, returned the most in the country. 
Your opinion eight, has changed. Eight and five didn't matter. That's what I'm getting at. Your didn't opinion matter. has changed after last yeah, year. I learned things and I All right. think different things. Fair enough. Topic two, conference expansion and realignment may not be dead yet as Pac-12 Commissioner George Klyovkov is visiting SMU today, losers of the New Mexico Bowl, according to Brent McMurphy. If the Big 12 is still open for business, should they look into beating the Pac-12 to the punch? No. No. I feel like the Big 12 has already won in a number of ways. They've got locked in their deal. They locked in their conference. Still need to announce it, by the way. Texas and Oklahoma are probably now going to stay for the next two years. So They are they, until they aren't, right? They've got 14 teams through 2025, and even when Texas and Oklahoma go, Brett Yormark is very clear that they feel confident that the conference is plenty uh, strong moving forward without Texas and OU, especially in basketball and across all sports. No, I, I credit Yormark and his staff for doing what they've done, just getting ahead of all of this. They've locked everything in, and so at this point it's like, I don't feel like the Big 12 has to rush to get anybody. Like, we were kind of like, oh, maybe Colorado, Utah, Arizona, Arizona State. The four corners. It was kind of a fun thought, Mm -hmm. like going to a 16-team conference when Oklahoma and Texas leave. If the Pac-12 dissolves. Now the Pac-12 is trying to hang on, and their (laughs) their response is to add SMU and San Diego State potentially. Uh, Good on them. But, like, the Big 12 can stand pat and feel very confident that they are – the number three conference moving forward. That's my belief. ACC has kind of trickled down. They're kind yeah, of. Yeah, we're all playing for number three. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I feel yeah. like the Big 12 right now and just like soli- B- solidarity. It's like BYU and men's hoops. We've been playing for third. Solidarity, they, they have it right now in that third spot. And I think that's a great position to be in. But why, why be aggressive? Who, what are you going to go do now? You don't need Texas. You got it. You don't. Well, if you want West Coast, you get San Diego State. But I think when, when your mark discusses four time zone, he really means Oregon and Washington. That's what he really deep down means. I don't think you go and get San Diego State just to do it. And I don't think BYU needs to go get, uh, sorry, the Big 12 needs to go. And <laughs> they're one of the same sort of. To, to get those two teams. Uh, it's going to be all right. We can quantify the success of the two leagues, by the way. There is a way to do this, and it's not on the field. It's a TV contract. We're waiting for the Pac-12 to get their TV contract for post-USC-UCLA, right? We have the numbers, reportedly, of the Big 12. They haven't announced it yet. We're still waiting for, I guess, that to be finalized. But it feels like the Big 12 is going to have a larger contract. If that's by a, only a million bucks, that's a win for the Big 12. Because you're competing against the Pac-12 and the ACC, like we said, for third place. And uh, I think the Big 12's done as good of a job as it possibly could with two massive brands leaving. They added some of the best of the rest. Uh, and you look around and, like, what's left, right? Boise State, Gonzaga, and Hoops. Basically, Boise State and football. We're not really talking about the other sports. Essentially the same as, like, Gonzaga and basketball. But they don't have football, of course. And then it's like, well, okay, who else? Uh... We could get into Texas. We could continue to have somebody in the L.A. area. It's, they're just trying to survive uh, and, and not dissolve at some point. Because if two teams leave, like if Arizona and Arizona State were like, we're done, we're out, it changes a they're, lot they're for in, that league. Now you're trouble. down to eight teams. They're in big trouble. You had those other two, you're 10. Like, what else you do? Now you're Mountain West Plus uh, to some degree. There's some good programs in there still. But, like, Oregon and Washington hold the cards. They're sitting there deciding the fate of the Pac-12. But, yeah, I'm, I'm confident the Big 12's in a great spot. Not going to – certainly it takes a little bit of a dip without Texas and Oklahoma, but you've added some quality, obviously, in our biased opinion in BYU and the other three. And uh, it'll be exciting to see how it rolls out in the next couple of years. It was nice that TCU had a season like it had, where it was like, 
oh, look, we didn't need Texas and Oklahoma. We have other teams. Oklahoma was that mediocre. Do stuff. Yeah, we'll right? give them. We'll give them the one year off and add the 17 New Year's Six appearances since 2000. Like they're unbelievable as a program. Good, you had one year off. It's good, okay. It was good to see some other teams. It was good to see Baylor the year before win the Big yeah. 12, Jerem. Yeah. Like Texas and Oklahoma. There's some fun parody that gives you hope as a yes. BYU fan. They're like, oh, could BYU be that team one year? Yeah. I mean, Baylor, like, Oklahoma State, TCU, like they've all in recent years had strong seasons, better seasons than the brands of Texas and Oklahoma. So that, that's a good sign. Utah took 11 years to win the league. It's like, oh, can BYU in the first decade be competitive enough to perhaps win a Power 5 league? We'll see. The best of BYU Sports Nation will be back after this on BYU Radio. Get caught up in the week in Cougar Sports. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation. Cougar Whip Round presented by Maersk, your e-commerce logistics shipping partner. ESPN's NFL Insiders did a redraft with this year's NFL rookies. Tyler Algier was picked 43rd in the redraft. Should he have been higher? Let me put my blue goggles on. Yes, first rounder. Uh, honestly, though, blue goggles off, blue goggles off. Yeah, I, I think it's pretty fair. Like, that's awesome. Like, if, if you redrafted him 43rd, early second round, running backs don't go in the Went first in the fifth. Round. Like, running backs that go in the first round are typically Heisman Trophy type players, like that level. Tyler was just outside that conversation. Um, 43rd is fantastic. Yeah, zero running backs taken in the first round last year. Two the year before, and then it's one a year. Um, yes, early second round would be incredible. Yeah, that's like saying, hey, Tyler Algiers right there with Brees Hall. And Brees Hall's yeah. fantastic. Tyler was one of the top three running backs in uh, in the NFL. By the way, second among all rookies with 51 forced missed tackles and then 3.6 yards after contact, most among rookies. Highest graded rookie running back. Amazing. Pro football focus, yeah. straight up, the best. All right, speaking of the draft, Tyler's friends who are looking to get into the NFL, including Puka Nakua and Jaron Hall and Blake Freeland, they've all been invited to the NFL Combine. Speaking about Puka specifically, the invitation to the Combine, does that further solidify that he absolutely will be drafted? I don't know that the invite does that, but the combination of what he did at the Senior Bowl, obviously the film that he put out there, his explosiveness, yeah, he's he's going to be drafted uh, based on who he is and what he can do. Like when he's healthy, he's an NFL receiver. Right now, Puka just screams somewhere mid third day, so like a fifth round pick. He's yeah. he's going to be drafted. We don't care here though. Like if he goes in the seventh, awesome. Drafted. Dax Milne was the second want. to last pick. Did we care? Absolutely. Drafted. Awesome. Make and, and Puka's going to make a roster. BYU fans, if I, as I've said, love gym measuring in the WCC. But last night, Mark Pope embraced the Big 12, Pac-12 rivalry mentality with this. In the Pac-12, okay, uh, the leading attendance in the last couple of years has been Arizona at like 12,500. I don't know how many of the arena seats, 14 maybe. But like you think about it, we have Pacific and, and LMU in here, and we have more fans than any Pac-12 team will have at any single game all year long. Man, it's fun to be a Cougar. Are you a fan of cross-conference attendance trash talk? Why not? Look, Mark's got to sell his program. He's got to sell the excitement, and that sells tickets. Frankly, he's not going to have a hard time selling tickets for the Big 12, though. <laughs> Just fine. Well, think about it. You've always been in the WCC, top 15. You're playing LMU and Pacific, like you mentioned. Um, Pretty cool. BYU averaging about 14,000, top 15 in the country, in the WCC. That's cool. The fans Just wait. Continue to show up, 
even yes. though BYU has had their quote-unquote struggles this year. They continue Cougar, to show up. Cougar Nation shows up. And just just imagine what it's going to be like when there's St. Mary's and Gonzaga in here almost every game. Yeah, amazing. It'll be good. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. The best of BYU Sports Nation collects our favorite conversations and brings them to you every Saturday. We now welcome in Chad Lewis, former BYU football hey. standout, a guy who caught a huge touchdown pass in NFC Championship game for the Philadelphia <laughs> Eagles. Took one for the team, man. Playing for Andy Reid, and now your former Eagles are taking on your former head coach who's with the Chiefs now, and your son-in-law's with the Chiefs. How are you handling this week emotionally as you prepare for the Super Bowl? I'm pumped. I've, been, I've wanted this matchup all year long. I mean, these are my two favorite teams by far. And Matt Bushman, my son-in-law, playing on the Chiefs, it's just the coolest thing ever. He's on the practice squad, so if something happens to someone in the next three days of practice, he's got a chance to actually play in the Super Bowl. But and he almost did. Um, last year. Last year, right? Yeah. yeah. Last year, halftime, he knew he was going to play in the Super Bowl if they advanced, and they were whooping on the Bengals till the Bengals turned around and beat them. So exciting times for Matt. He had a great game against the Packers preseason, two touchdowns, then broke his collarbone a couple plays later. Spent the season getting healthy. Now he's healthy. First day he could get taken back, Chiefs took him back. So I'm very grateful for Andy. Profoundly grateful. I mean, that's my family. So yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm pumped. So I assume you're rooting for the Eagles, but is there some sort of split thing here with Andy and Matt with the Chiefs? How you feeling? Uh, I'm a member of the church, so family first and everything. <laughs> like, I'm all about family. Like, yeah. I want Matt and Emily to have every good thing. You know, when I, when I say my prayers, that's what I'm thinking about. You know, how can they have every, every great thing? And this is a great thing. Now, I also am like the, uh, the Kelsey parents. I got family on both sides, yeah. deep family, roots, <laughs> love. Like, uh, I love Andy like he's part of my family. We've communicated weekly for years. And I also love the Eagles. The Chiefs have never given me one paycheck, not for six cents. <laughs> and the Eagles have paid me a lot of money. I mean, there's a give and take relationship that you have with fans, with an organization. And so that's family. But I think everyone understands exactly how this works. My son-in-law's on the team. Let's go. go so, so either way, you're good. It's win-win, bittersweet. It's win-win, I mean, bittersweet. No matter who yeah. I see after the game, it's a big hug or it's like, I feel for you, you know, like I've, I've been on the losing end of a Super Bowl and it hurts. I mean, 18 years later, I, I still feel it. I wish we would have beat the Patriots that, that day, you know, but bam, that's life. Keep Absolutely. going. <laughs> Ain't no crying about it. Just move <laughs> forward. Chad Lewis is with us on BYU Sports Nation. I want to dive into your relationship with Coach Reed a little bit more. When did that all begin? And, and how has it evolved to where it is today? Great question. He's the best. Let's start it off right there. He will be a first ballot Hall of Famer. Absolutely. Yep. Best yep. coach in the business, best man in the business. I first met him at the Combine. He was with the Packers. We had a great talk. And he was the tight ends coach. He was trying to get me to the Packers. Um, then I went to the Eagles as an undrafted free agent, went to the Rams um, a year and two games later. And the Rams ended up getting cut right before we won the Super Bowl. And I went back to the Philadelphia Eagles, now Andy Reid head coach. So when he's at the Eagles head coach first year, um, and when I was on the waiver wire, he grabbed me. So the first day I get there, I was picked on the waiver wire by the 49ers, Steve Young still there, the Colts, and the Eagles. The first thing he said was, hey, 
I know you wanted to go back and play with Steve Young, but I need you here. Let's turn this thing around. I said, Coach, I've already been in my playbook. I'm ready to roll. And I caught a touchdown that week against the Colts. <laughs> I was made the starting tight end for the Philadelphia Eagles Monday, and that's how it went. Um, since then, we've been tight. Wow. It, that's awesome. Uh, playing with Steve would have been fun too, right? Yeah, that would have been a blast. And a, was it a young Peyton Manning at that point? Or it was a young you, Peyton Manning, okay. yeah. That was throwing a ton of picks? Yeah. That's why I caught <laughs> a touchdown on that game, because he ripped us. And... <laughs> that week he ripped you guys? Yeah. Nice. So well, you, you don't, you don't seem bothered by it at all. Yeah, yeah. It got me a starting job. You know, <laughs> and then I can prove myself. Absolutely. Okay, okay you, you go to the Eagles, and uh, everybody knows Andy loves BYU. Yeah. Did you, were the BYU conversations happening when you were a player, or did that all, the all time. start after? All the time. He was so fun about it. He's... He came to BYU, not a member of the Church of Jesus Christ. He came here and met a girl named Tammy. He's playing football. And as they're dating, Tammy's like, hey, Reed, if you want to marry me, I'm getting married in the temple. He's like, what's that? She's like, you better find out. <laughs> not only did he find out, but he, he turned his life into a disciple of Christ in a way that has never stopped. That's who he is. His love for the church, his love for BYU is similar. So when he talks to the team, he doesn't like shy away from who he is or BYU. He's like, he's still a new convert to BYU. He's still a new convert to the church in that sense that he's got a light, light heart, like a good heart. So he banters with his team and like he would tell the Eagles, Hey, Chad's my favorite player. I'm like, coach, you can't say that, man. My teammates are going to rip me. But he has fun with it. And he celebrates it. And so right now they have Zane Anderson and Matt Bushman on the so team. Cool. Yeah. And he loves it. He's like, hey, give me some more BYU guys. I Let's love go. that story about Tammy, too, uh, having spent some time with her because she's absolutely a firecracker. She's a pistol. Um, yep. And she's I love so all of her fun. nicknames for Andy. Yeah. You know, <laughs> AR and Reed, Andrew. I know. You know. Like she just, she is who she is. So it yeah. doesn't surprise me at all that she said that. It was fun. Uh, Andy on the bye week, his bye week came to the BYU football game. Yeah. So just stood also just at the sat game. in the crowd. Yeah, he wanted to be what? in the crowd. What? We had a box for him. We're like, hey, no, no one can mess with you. And his son Spencer, who's our strength and conditioning coach, who moved into my ward, said, by the way. Dad, I don't need you sitting up in a box. Like, there's people down there. We got recruits down there. Come down. And he's like, okay. So he came down, <laughs> sat in stands, and then they announced him in the stadium. <laughs> and then and then Greg was like, oh yeah, Andy's here. Like. <laughs> whatever seat and I was like we're giving away the seat um no but Andy's so cool like he's so personable he doesn't have to be he could absolutely be okay my next statement slash question in no way takes away from what Lavelle did but at some point Andy Reid built off that amazing knowledge and experience with Lavelle and became the greatest coach that's ever been associated with BYU like yeah. he almost stood on his shoulders in a way to be like okay let's elevate this thing at the next level Andy has done something amazing which is in the NFL, he's now in his third Super Bowl. He's going for a second win. Like, he'll be first battle Hall of Famer. It's pretty special. It's kind of like what Steve did, right? Building off got Ty did by winning the Heisman. What do you think of sort of that evolution of Andy continuing sort of that coaching legacy from Lavelle? It's true. Perfect question. He stands on the shoulders of Lavelle. And the cool thing about Andy is he's never walked away from Lavelle. Like, he embraced him as a player and as a person. And he continued that relationship. He would... Lavelle would either call or write him a note every week. And sometimes when I was with the Eagles, Andy would pull me in and say, man, look at this. Look at this note from Lavelle. He is classic. Like his love for Lavelle <laughs> was just so real and genuine and, and cool. 
And the thing that he learned from Lavelle was pass the ball. And so he's stepped his foot on the gas his entire career. He wants to throw the ball. He wants to score points. He's been so progressive as a coach. He's cutting edge. You see what they do with Mahomes, with whoever's on their team. Kelsey, I'm watching his routes. I'm like, bro, I love that. I love his creativity. He's a 60-plus-year-old coach, but he's still mentally cutting edge. And he's calling the plays. Calling the he's plays. Calling he's the right plays. in the rhythm. Like, his players love him. They don't, like, jump on him as hard as we used to. Um, so they're a little tender with him, but man, they love him. Who's running hook and ladders in the first half? Andy, Andy Reid is. <laughs> yeah. right? that, that's Abraham. Who's running ring around the rosies in the huddle and then, you yeah. know. That was incredible. Yeah. So he allows you to have fun. One of the things he says always is, hey, you got to let your personality show. You got to have fun out there. Don't be tight. Like, be you. Let, let it cut it loose. That's what he wants from his team. So you see... What they're doing in practices, like coming up with stuff, and if it works or he likes it, it's in the game. And he's not afraid of that. The personality thing is called jamaling yeah, yeah, around yeah, here. Right. Yeah. What, what is this week like? I know it's 18-ish years removed or 20 years removed from when you were kind of in this scenario, Chad, but what's this week like as an NFL player when you are preparing for the Super Bowl? It's so fun. Uh, the championship game is your Super Bowl. I mean, that's it, where you're in a, either a home or away crowd super intense you're winning your conference and when you win that conference you go to the super bowl then everything changes the the media requests are off the hook in a way that's both fun and like super can be super distracting um practices are your your coaches are trying to get ready for the biggest game of their lives you're trying to do both get ready for the biggest game of your life and enjoy the moment that moment is a tiny window that may never come again. So you're trying to do both. And the coaches that can you know, cut down distractions the most and get you focused on your job are typically you know, the ones who win the game. So, Okay, Big 12 schedule came out. Uh, what do you think? Oh, my goodness. This is, what, this is the first thing I thought of. Right before Elder L. Tom Perry, Quorum of the 12, passed away, he put me in a headlock. <laughs> what? headlock and he said when are we going to stop playing patsies in november <laughs> so since he's talking smack i was talking smack what? back i'm like well wow can you give us a bunch of cash and get us like somewhere else <laughs> and so it was really fun but it's it was look at what tom homo did with, and our coaches all the time schedule it's to get a schedule going like in independence it wasn't easy but yep. they made it great yep and now we, we're in a conference where Look at what November is going to be like. <laughs> West Virginia, for a championship. Iowa State, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. I think BYU's going to have up. a good record going into November. I do too. I think I'm pumped. November is going to be really important. I would say this. Tom Homo has done an incredible job with the coaches, the players, administration, constantly talking to us about putting our foot on the gas, being ready for, look, this is a big jump. Don't soft pedal this. We have to be ready in every way. And it doesn't happen overnight. It happens right now, every day, one step at a time. Let's get ready. He's been, he's been really good at making sure that we understand this is big time. Mm. I'm already ready for it to be an emotional experience when Oklahoma is in Lavelle Edwards Stadium on November 18th on senior night as part of the Big 12. Like, just a culmination of so many years, decades of yeah. just working and hoping that this thing oh, like comes to fruition. Oh, like a 50-year build, right? I'm just imagine, I'm trying to think. Henry Beimer is probably tall enough to be the other guy who could put you in a headlock. <laughs> is that, like, from a height standpoint? That's How tall right. is Elton? Like 6'4 or something? 
He was like six two, six three. He was a big oh, guy. Okay. Yeah. His personality was big and his big barrel chested guy. So, you know, <laughs> love him. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, That's love a fantastic him. Fantastic story. Chad, we Thanks, appreciate Jeff. all of the stories that you shared with us today. Yep. Perfect for Super Bowl week. One more week, then out of the boot. Go. Yes, get Boom. you healthy. Catching more touch. Get you back on the One golf course. One more week, the boot's on the shelf and I'm dunking again. Get you on the golf course. Yeah, let's course. go. Right. Come on, man. The best of BYU Sports Nation will be back after this on BYU Radio. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. Cougar Whip Around presented by Maersk, your e-commerce logistics shipping partner. All right. Uh, Danny Ainge, the CEO of the Utah Jazz. Trader Danny, wheeling and dealing, done it wherever he's been. Well, made some moves last night with the Jazz. We're going to turn it into a BYU question. Danny Ainge was the BYU basketball GM. Oh, man. Would the Cougars own the transfer portal? Yes. 100%. Now, I know there's no trading yes. in the transfer portal, but Danny Ainge would figure out a way to leverage the portal in some way to probably have more hard conversations with players that he didn't want at BYU. <laughs> Head over there to the transfer portal. But in turn, he would be leading the charge. BYU, if you were the GM, BYU would get more high-profile transfer portal prospect. It would happen. He is. Yes. He, he makes things happen. Danny gets what Danny wants. Yes. We've seen that time and time again. I, I don't know how it would all look. Here's what I do know would happen: that when Danny got who he wanted, the fan base of the other team would hate it because they would say their team got fleeced. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I know, because that's what Danny Ainge does to opposing teams. Quick story about Danny Ainge. I love Danny. He's so competitive. He's the guy that jokingly told me that one of his sons was not good enough to play at BYU, but then he was kind of like, and then he said, I'm, I'm kind of serious. Like, he's, he's not good enough. <laughs> he's, he does not mince words, Jason. He does not mince words, and he, he would make like it things is. happen yes. in the transfer portal. Get the guys out of here we don't want. Bring the guys in that we want and figure out a way to make it happen. That's right. All right, BYU. Sorry, this one's yours. Uh, it's okay. Yeah, sorry, I got so excited about it's talking all good. about the Pepperdine game. BYU is an eight-point favorite tonight against the aforementioned Pepperdine. How confident are you in not just BYU winning the game, but covering the eight-point spread? Yeah, I actually feel pretty good about this game tonight. I think this is a this is a pretty focused team, and they look they realize what's at stake right now. And I understand Pepperdine's coming off a, a win, their first conference win, and they did it in dramatic, unbelievable fashion. BYU's the better team here, and, and I expect them to come out and show that tonight. So yeah, I say they cover. This has the makings of a backdoor cover on the Pepperdine side written all over it. Let's say BYU's ahead by nine with 30 seconds to go. Oh, you're getting into the fouls. BYU, miss, BYU has missed free throws down the stretch in these scenarios this season so they miss some free throws Pepperdine gets a layup here and there hit a big three I could see BYU winning this game by like four or five look I don't care as long as they win get a little weird yeah like so I actually I think I hope it doesn't play out this way but I feel like Pepperdine is going to be within the eight points tonight so if it's if it ends in a Cougar win that's fine I'll take it <laughs> okay. all right the NFL tweeted quote Andy Reid is a national treasure end quote which we all know is true uh, with this video clip from the Super Bowl interviews <laughs> Brandon Marshall here to your left all right, Brandon. Brandon need a wide receiver or are you good 
you just come with me afterwards. I'll, I'll find okay. something. The greatest, the top three rappers alive. Put this up. Well, Coach. do the Fat Boys count as one rapper? No, no. <laughs> huh? All right. Um, Jay Z. Um, shoot, I don't know. I, I'm missing Master P. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm giving you all the old ones, but uh, yeah. I'll take he, Little Wayne. He just wasn't he just at our place. You got to give me an easier question than that, dog. How do you take your coffee? You know, I don't drink coffee, but um, I, I'm not a coffee drinker, so I, <laughs> I don't drink it. What do you drink in the morning then to start your day? I just get up and go. I, I'm, I got. Endless energy for a chubby guy. <laughs> <laughs> He's the best. He is the best. But that, we begs the question, is Andy Reid a better personality or a better football coach? I don't know. Him throwing out the fat boys and Master P. Like, he, he brings up a good question. Is that one rapper or two? <laughs> uh, he... He's an incredible personality, which makes him an even better football coach, Jason. Yeah. They are, it, it works together. It's a symbiotic relationship. Because he is who he is, he gets the players that want to play for him and he gets the most out of his players. He's a football coach first and foremost, yes. and there's nobody better at it right now. And he's my football coach, and he's a Hall of Fame football coach, and he's going to bring us to another Super Bowl on Sunday. I like that you said us. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's, that. It's who you are, right? By the way, I don't know why I'm admitting this. Yesterday, I was actually listening to a Fat Boys song. <laughs> <laughs> it was Fat Boy. It was the Fat Boys with uh, Chubby Checker. The twist song. <laughs> why I was listening, I have no it idea. Was spurred on by his comment? It was not. It was, it was before any of that. It was meant to be. It was meant it was to be. Meant to be. The best of BYU Sports Nation will be right back. Rise and shout for the trending topics of the week here on the best of BYU Sports Nation. Taking from the Marriott Center, a magical week that put them in the tie for third place, Jason. Yeah. One, two in a row. Let's keep it going. How does BYU take that energy and passion and the magic from the Marriott Center into Malibu against a Pepperdine team that has given BYU problems at Firestone Fieldhouse. In fact, Jason, we were looking at this, and gosh, we feel like this is a really important game. I just stated it's more important than the Gonzaga game. Why is tonight's contest against Pepperdine more important than Saturday's showdown in Spokane? Well, for a couple of reasons. One, it's the next game, and we all know the players are like, the next game's the most important. So for that reason alone, it's important. You want to keep playing well. It's at the, you're starting to get to the end of the year. You have five games left in the regular season before you head to the Orleans Arena in Vegas for the conference tournament. If BYU wants to make sure that they get that bye to the Saturday games, sure, top you've, four you've got to be a top four seed. I don't think you get a top four seed if you lose any game against an opponent not named St. Mary's, and Gonzaga. You have to win this game on the road against Pepperdine. 
You get the opportunity to have two teams you've already lost to come to Provo in San Francisco and Santa Clara. Those are two teams right now currently behind you in the standings. So if you're able to take care of business in these three games, you're talking about the last place Pepperdine team, and I agree with you, Malibu and Firestone Fieldhouse has been a very weird place for BYU to play. It, it has not always been kind to the Cougars. They are certainly the better team going into this game tonight, and I absolutely expect them to win the game. But th weird things have always happened. So you have to win the three games not against Gonzaga and St. Mary's to feel really confident about being one of those top four seeds. It's because the three wins and two losses that you are asking BYU to come up with over the back five, uh, assuming the losses in Moraga and in Spokane, but taking care of business at yeah. Pepperdine and then at home, would put BYU in a 9-7 and seven record position in WCC play. And looking at what everybody else has remaining, in the logjam in the middle of the WCC standings, 9-7 and seven almost assuredly will put you in a top-four seed. Every other team in the conference besides St. Mary's and Gonzaga have five losses right now, all of them. LMU's got a brutal remaining schedule. BYU, too, has a tough schedule with the road games against the Gales and the Bulldogs, but they should be able to hold serve in the games they're favored and win at least three of the five. Santa Clara has the easiest remaining schedule, and San Francisco, by losing to Santa Clara, kind of played themselves right. out of any shot at finishing. They're 4-7 and seven in the conference. Yeah, and they're not going to go 5-0 and oh over the back five. Okay, that, that's what San Francisco would have to do to probably push into a top five seed, or top four seed, I should say. So BYU has a path that is conducive to giving them a top four seed and the buy into Saturday if they just handle teams that they are supposed yes. to beat on paper. BYU will be favored at home against Santa Clara and against San Francisco because the Marriott Center is such a tough place to play. And they w they're favored by eight tonight against Pepperdine. Just take care of business See what happens in Spokane, whatever. I mean, BYU has, you know, pulled off stranger things in that arena at the kennel and, and against way better Gonzaga teams for that matter. So who knows? Go up there, let it fly. You make some threes. If defense shows up the way it has for BYU in recent weeks, then maybe BYU steals one back. I, I don't know. But I am banking that BYU will win at least three games to go 9-7 and seven and finish at least in fourth place. But that starts with tonight. Like, BYU cannot afford to lose tonight's game against Pepperdine because if they do, now, Jason, we're talking about BYU being the five or the six seed. Yeah, and then that adds, that adds games. That adds more opportunities. You're playing on Friday. To, to, for something crazy to happen. BYU, at the end of the day, all of these teams are trying to position themselves and put themselves in a, in a, in a situation that stacks the deck as much as you possibly can in your favor. Sure. And if you can get a top four seed, which I think they're going to do, I'm, I'm, you and I are completely on the same page. I, I think BYU goes three and two down the stretch. You win these three games. And like you said, you see what happens. Look, the two games that BYU had here in the Marriott Center yes. against the Gales and, the, and Gonzaga, we didn't think they were going to play out like that either. But BYU is two shots away, two unreal shots away from beating both of those teams. So take care of your business against the teams that you know that you should beat, and they should, and then go see what happens in Spokane and in Moraga. If you can do that, you have put yourself in the best position that you can 
under the circumstances. I'm gonna tweet this out later today, but I have gone full scoreboard watching mode. <laughs> every game matters now, and every game impacts BYU and the WCC standings. So right now, I'm just, gonna, I'm just gonna say, I'm gonna tell you who to root for. Obviously, BYU fans are rooting for the Cougars to win at Pepperdine. We've gone through why it's such a critical contest. Root for Gonzaga to beat San Francisco tonight. I know, it's kind of weird, it's like, well, why? BYU needs chalk at the top. Yeah. You want St. Mary's? Put, put distance between yourselves yes. and the teams that are chasing For it. sure. That would give San Francisco eight losses in conference and essentially rule them out of yes. a top half finish. The interesting game here tonight is San Diego at Santa Clara. Santa Clara is a favorite, but San Diego is a weird matchup for Santa Clara. So there is a chance that the Toreros, like they did against LMU, they beat LMU, and that got BYU into tie for third last Saturday night. Root hard for San Diego to win at Santa Clara because if that happens, now BYU's got a real chance, seriously, a real chance to finish in third place. St. Mary's is at LMU tonight. LMU is not going to beat St. Mary's. St. Mary's riding high. LMU's dealing with some injuries. So root for the Gales, the Bulldogs, the Toreros, and then the Pacific Tigers are within a game of BYU right now. They're at Portland, so you're rooting for the Pilots tonight. There's your WCC shakedown on the scoreboard, Jason. I like it. Okay. You're going to tweet that out, Let's though. So I'm for, I'll, I'll for watching later tonight. Every team you need to root for in the West Coast I may Conference. steal this for the pregame show Please on radio. Do. Please do. I will give you your credit. <laughs> I will say, according to Spencer Linton, these, this is who you should be cheering this for tonight. This all benefits BYU. Okay. All right. I'm going to. I know you listen to the pregame show on BYU Radio every time, so you'll hear it, of course. Jason, more than you know sometimes. <laughs> okay. More than you know. You don't, you don't have to lie. It's fine. <laughs> All right. Moving on to topic number two. No, I appreciate it. Uh, BYU football, as we know, season's over. They're already looking forward and towards the upcoming Big 12 season. They can do that. Basketball, on the other hand, still has some work to do, as we just mentioned, but it won't be long before basketball can do the exact same thing and look ahead to being in the Big 12. The question, Spencer, are you more excited about BYU Big 12 football or BYU Big 12 basketball? This is really tough for me to answer. And here's why. Most people will be like, oh, duds, football. Like, B football is king. BYU is, is playing in the Big 12 Conference. It's the moneymaker. I'm extremely excited for BYU to play Big 12 football and just Big 12 football in general next season. But I think about the prospect of BYU playing at Fog Allen Fieldhouse yeah. against the Jayhawks and then having the Jayhawks return in front of just a sold-out, packed, amped Marriott Center. And then in comes Baylor, and here comes Houston, here comes Oklahoma State, here comes Texas Tech. All of these teams are so good. Kansas State is a power. Texas, Oklahoma, all of those teams are going to play, well, the majority, we think, yes. are going to play in the Marriott Center. So just because there are more basketball games and more opportunities for big-time teams from the top basketball conference in America, because more of those teams are going to by nature of the schedule, visit the Marriott Center, there's just more quantity. Like every game is massive yeah. within Big 12 basketball play. Doesn't mean that it's not gonna be electric at Lavelle Edwards Stadium. And football is first, football is king. So I would say, based on the history and legacy and what the Big 12 Conference is known for most right now, mm -hmm. which is even with TCU going to the national championship and even having Texas and Oklahoma, Jason, the Big 12 is known for basketball right now. Yeah. They are so good and so powerful and so dominant that it's basketball has like weirdly stolen the spotlight from Big 12 football for a little bit. Yeah, you, you, 
You cannot argue that it's the best basketball conference in the nation, and I also agree with you, you can't argue that in terms of its prestige and what it is known for, the, the basketball side of things is at a higher level than what the football is. And football is pretty good football, too. So that's really saying something about yeah. what basketball is. For me, though, the answer is football. It's what we have focused everything on for so long. Yes. And Getting BYU football into a yeah. Power 5 yes. league. So that's, that's where I have to go. The other thing is we'll also see football games first. We will see, in fact, I believe the very first Big 12 anything on campus will actually be women's soccer. But between football and basketball, we're going to see football games with a Big 12 flavor first. That's what I'm focusing on. That's got me more excited. We're going to see it first. It is, it is much more of a spectacle. We talk about college football and everything that goes on to it. You have fewer games, and it's more of an event as opposed to having multiple games a week. And I, I agree with you. The idea in basketball of having the Kansas Jayhawks here and then going to Austin for however long BYU is able to do that, a year, two, whatever. But football, this is what we have focused all of our attention on. Every conversation has been football-related. Now that it's here, that's what I'm excited about. Now, are you more scared to play Big 12 football or Big 12 basketball? Basketball. It's an entirely different <laughs> conversation. Totally, totally different answer to a totally different question. Yes. What scares me the most is without a doubt hoops. I, th there is no wrong answer here. I'm super stoked for both. And, like, BYU, watching BYU run onto the field in Lawrence, Kansas on September 23rd against the Jayhawks on the football side for their first Big 12 game is going to be – like an emotional it's experience. Great. I was going to say emotional. That's it will be an emotional thing. experience. Like finally, it's actually happened. And to your point, football is 100% the driving force or at least the initiating force behind everything in this BYU to Big 12 movement. Football is king. We have pined for it forever. I'm super excited. So, I mean, if we're talking percentages, like, okay, I'm like an A-plus excited for Big 12 basketball, and I'm like... 98% so an A excited for, for Big 12 football. Just because I, I, I'm a basketball guy, like I grew up playing basketball, watching BYU in those venues as a member of that conference was beyond my wildest. So It's happening, my friend. I know. It's going to be here soon. Like I, got, I will be in Fog Allen the first time BYU plays at Kansas. I don't care if it's as a fan or I'm reporting. I will be there because it's just way too much of a spectacle. So it's, it's all happening, though. It's so exciting. You and me, you and me road trip? Let's let's make it happen. We've already we've already done one one road trip to see a to see a team. Let's let's make let's, it let's happen. Do let's one. do it. Let's do it. And it was a success, right? It was a success despite Mahomes breaking his <laughs> kneecap in the game I went to with you. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. Hear what the coaches, athletes, and experts have to say. Here's another great interview from the week on the best of BYU Sports Nation. We welcome in Reno Mahe on BYU Sports Nation alongside Jason Shepard. I'm Spencer Linton. Reno, great to have you back on the show. It's Super Bowl week. I'm sure you're feeling some torn emotions with your former head coach, Andy Reid, in Kansas City, but your former team, the Eagles, are on the other side. How are you handling all of this? I was just taking it a day at a time, trying to stay busy with other things and not think too much of it till the day comes. Well, look, we, we notice you're, you're repping the Sky Ridge gear. 
you're not even focusing on football right now. You're a basketball coach. <laughs> yeah, we, we just lost a tough one Tuesday, but uh, we're still ranked pretty high and we're still pretty hopeful going into the tournament uh, in a couple weeks. So we're pretty excited of what we got going at Sky Ridge Girls Basketball. Coach Mahe is with us on BYU Sports Nation. Yeah, yeah, I love <laughs> basketball coach. Uh, we'll get back to the basketball in just a moment because you're a Lakers guy and they're involved in some trades. So we'll get to that in a moment. But I want to ask you about your memories of Super Bowl week. We were talking to Chad Lewis about what he remembered about the madness of Super Bowl week and media day. What do you remember about that experience and, and what this week was like as a player? Honestly, the, the thought that just came to mind when you asked me that was the reach of uh, BYU. Uh, what I mean by that is it was a headache dealing with all the families. You know how many family members us Polynesians have. <laughs> and to get all the families out to the Super Bowl, we were in uh, Jacksonville, Florida. Like it, it was a actually a terrible place to have a Super Bowl. The, the accommodations there were tough, but BYU Nation came through um, for the Mahe family. You know, they they took care of a lot of my family members out there, people I've never met before. But because of the BYU reach, it, it was it was awesome. Well, and I don't know if people realize like. You as, as athletes, as professional athletes, you have a lot of responsibilities and you kind of get into a rhythm. When you get to the Super Bowl, it's, while it's still a football game, everything about it is so much different. There's probably five to six times more media, or, or maybe even more than that, ten times more media than normal. The, the game is obviously bigger than anything you've played in. You have longer half times. There's nothing that's really normal about anything of that game that you've done throughout the season. How do you handle that with it being so different from any other game you play in? I think, you know, uh, as a professional, and, and quite frankly, it's not very many people get to uh, get to participate in the Super Bowl. So it, it's a unique deal in itself. And uh, I, I do get somewhat nightmares thinking about it sometimes because of dealing with tickets. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was so bad. But um, at the same time, you, you try to take it in stride and uh, having a coach like Andy Reid and he, he, you know, he gone through the Super Bowl with the Packers and they won it. And, and so he, he helped us get through it. And the, mainly it's just a matter of eliminating distraction. And the hard part is the whole premise of the Super Bowl is a distraction. And so it, I mean, it did to make it worse, we lost the game. So it really is kind of a hard thing to rehash, but at the end of the day, it's kind of fun to be able to, Say you participated in the Super Bowl and you got to be there and all the flashing lights right before kickoff and running down the field. Um, it's a cool experience to to kind of go back to, but then you start getting all the, the anxiety from yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so you you mentioned Coach Reed. What what's your relationship like with him today? How often do you communicate with him still? Oh, I'll text him all the time, and he's he's awesome about that. He'll text back. I, I talk to him every now and then, but you know how busy he is and you know how um, in touch he is with a lot of players. So you, you try to be mindful of his time, but uh, it's hard not to congratulate him and all the success he's still uh, having. 
Do your loyalties lie with Coach Reed more than they do with your former team, the Eagles? Are you rooting for the Chiefs this weekend? So here's the funny thing. I'm rooting for Andy Reid, but to me, this is kind of an Eagles versus Eagles. Um, there's so many Eagles that I was a part of in Philadelphia at the Chiefs. Uh, you have Coach Tobes, who's a special teams coordinator, Spagnolia, Greg Lewis, so many of the guys that I was with at the Eagles who are, to me, Eagles. So this game is nothing but the Eagles versus the Eagles, and I'm cheering for Andy <laughs> Reid. <laughs> so at that, at that moment, mm. you really can't go wrong, Reno, right? You, either way, you're going to end up the, on Sunday night, you're going to be happy. Oh, it's a Disney movie. This is nothing but a Disney movie. I'm, I'm going to enjoy this movie, and I'm, it's like watching the golden buzzers on YouTube. Like, I'm going to enjoy this. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> Honestly, how, how do you see this playing? Look, I mean, full, dis, full disclosure to you, I, I'm a Chiefs guy. That's where I was originally from. So I, I'm a Chiefs guy through and through. It's who I hope wins the game. But when you look at this matchup, what do you make of the Chiefs versus the Eagles? Uh, I think – the Chiefs have the advantage with regards to coaching. Um, I mean, I, I think the experience, but I think if I if someone told me you had to put this much money on the game, who would you bet on? I'd bet on the Eagles because they have the healthier team. All right, Reno Mahe has made his pick uh, on BYU Sports Nation. Hey, we're always here to help you do that, Reno. <laughs> I want to uh, kind of uh, address... Again, your relationship with Andy Reid. Yesterday I asked Chad Lewis, like, what, when was the first time you met Andy and what was that experience like? I want to ask you the same question. What was your first impression of Andy Reid? When did you first meet him and what was that experience like? Oh, he <laughs> It's what you would think of meeting uh, someone through the BYU family. <laughs> let, let Put it this way. So most of uh my rookie year was done by, um, you know, I had my position coach. I had the offensive coordinator. But one of the first coaching, um, my first preseason game as a rookie, Andy Reid was standing by me as I was getting ready to come out to receive a punt return. And he, he leaned over and he's like, are you scared? <laughs> I, I, I lied to him so bad. <laughs> you probably thought, well, I wasn't until you said that. <laughs> no, I was scared. I've been scared the whole week. Like, and I was like, no, nah, I ain't scared. He knew dang well I was scared. I was <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. We're talking with Reno Maya on BYU Sports Nation. Uh, your former team, the BYU Cougars, are headed to the Big 12 Conference, Reno. The schedule was recently announced. How do you feel about BYU's prospect of playing in the Big 12 and their chances in year one as a Power 5 team? <laughs> it's, so, it's exciting. It's so awesome. Um, I, I text a couple of my business partners like, hey, guys, should we book some flights? And then I was like, oh, wait, I just – I have a calling that I have to be at church every Sunday, and my wife just had a baby, so okay, maybe I can't go to too many games. <laughs> Priorities. 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 But Priorities. That, that doesn't mean but, it's any less exciting. Yeah, like how do you feel about the Cougars' chances in the Big 12? I, I feel great. I feel great about the uh, what they've done and loved uh, um, 
some of the players they've brought in. But uh, what you know, it's kind of. I'm really excited with uh, uh, Sione Boha. <laughs> so he's married to my first cousin. Mm. And um, the fact that BYU got him, I, I ran into him Saturday last week, and I was like, hey, how did they get you to come? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if people realize what they did by getting you to come to BYU. <laughs> like, <laughs> and um, I'm again, I, I think they're going to do some good stuff and I'm excited to see what they do. And it, with all that being said, let me, let me preface that, that I hope BYU nation is patient um, with this transition, you know, like, I don't want to hear things after the first game. Ah, we need like just give the give 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 the Cougars some time to you know give them a few years. But I think I think they'll surprise people. Well, look, Reno, you were part of the building process to get to this point. To to go off what you were just talking about, what do you think is the biggest hurdle that BYU will have to overcome going into this new conference and this new era of BYU football? I've always felt like it was our schedule and and health. And sometimes I felt like the independent schedule was hard to stay healthy. Um, I think the lead up might be a little bit better the where the um, the bye week is. And so just again, just kind of a, a little bit more of the outsider. Now, I feel like the schedule now you have all these tougher teams week in and week out, but I, I think the lead up to it might be a little bit better than um, what we had as an independent. You know, to, to follow up on that, when you looked at the schedule, like we were doing the live show when the schedule was released and kind of going over everything. When you saw I was the fact watching. That, 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 <laughs> well, that we appreciate it by the way. Thank you very much. Uh, like Oklahoma, on senior night in November, getting the Sooners in Provo. Can you believe that? <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, you can't believe it, but it's true now, right? And but speaking of that, when you guys did that bit, thank you for just showing us the schedule and not making us wait mm -hmm. most of the show for it. We Look, we appreciate that. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> but we're excited for it. We're excited for all of it. And I think the Big 12 really hooked us up for the first year. <laughs> Yeah, favorable schedule. Uh, Reno, it's it's great to talk with you. Um, I do need to ask you as we say goodbye, your Lakers were involved in a big trade yesterday. Do you feel good about the trade getting D'Angelo Russell back? I I am very surprised they got a good trade. But at the end of the day, honestly, I'm, I'm more of a Danny Ainge fan and all the trades he's making <laughs> in the <laughs> Lakers. It's kind of cool seeing uh, a BYU great going in there and moving things around. I love it. Well hey, well, hey, look, we got Tony Finau to switch from being a Laker fan to a Jazz fan. We're working on you next. Done. Let's do it. <laughs> Reno, great to talk to you, man. Thanks for the time. We'll be right back with more of the best of BYU Sports Nation. The best of BYU Sports Nation collects our favorite conversations and brings them to you every Saturday. What's Trending, presented by Tim Daly Ford, part of the Tim Daly Auto Group, serving Utah since 1968. Texas and Oklahoma have announced 
along with the Big 12 Conference, after paying $100 million to the Big 12 Conference to do so, that they will leave after the 2023 season, which means they will be members of the SEC beginning in the summer of 2024. Jerem, what does that mean for the future of the Big 12 Conference? I mean, it's just got the one year, right, uh, to play with Texas and Oklahoma in the various sports. We think about football primarily. Basketball will be fun. Women's volleyball with uh, Texas is incredible. Oklahoma and Texas in softball, incredible. There are a bunch of sports where it will be uh, fun to compete. Now we know. We've, we thought it would be two at first. Then it was like, okay, maybe it's just one. I guess Oklahoma ponied up the money. Texas could always afford it. But now we know, uh, and it was great that BYU got Texas and Oklahoma in year one in football. That way, you got them. The only um, one of the newbies to do so. And Oklahoma on senior day will be awesome. Uh, and at Texas, of course, is a game that BYU's always uh, embraced, having played there a couple of times uh, in independent. So, yeah, it, and here's the thing. We know it's going to be super wide open in this league. Um, to the benefit and detriment of the league, um, you know, the Pac-12 hasn't produced too many playoff uh, teams recently because they kind of eat their own. I think the Big 12 will probably do that quite a bit. TCU had a special run this year, being able to get in undefeated, lose the Big 12 title game, still got in because undefeated. Uh, They were lucky there weren't like four undefeateds, but it's hard to go undefeated. Ask BYU in 84. Only done it one time. So it'll be fun to hang out with the rich dad on some weekends, a.k.a. Texas and Oklahoma. And then eventually your parents get divorced and they go move somewhere else and uh, kind of move on with our lives. But I, I'm excited that we know we have the one year with those two. Huge brands in college football sure. and, and basketball and everything else like we talked about. It's going to be fun to have the one year. I wish it was two, honestly, but uh, eventually they move on and so does BYU and everybody else. It makes sense. The divorced household figured out how to expedite the paper signing so that the two parts can yeah. mutually separate. Sometimes divorce is good. It's not always bad. I don't know that it's going to be a great thing for Texas and Oklahoma going to the SEC. Competitively, no. Financially, yes. For sure. Yeah. 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 Like Texas needed more money. More. <laughs> <laughs> They're going to be just fine. I'm excited that BYU gets one shot at all of the Oklahoma and Texas teams to win a conference championship. Specifically, women's soccer and women's volleyball. I'm glad that BYU has the shot at Texas in volleyball specifically. They're amazing. Just, for sure. So I'm glad they all that BYU has one shot to win conference titles with Texas and Oklahoma in conference. That's really fun. I, I guess my biggest question mark is, what does it mean for the future of Big 12 expansion? We're seeing conferences go to 16 teams now. The SEC with Texas and Oklahoma will be 16 teams. The Big 10, once USC and UCLA depart, will be 16 teams. Rutgers and Maryland count then? Apparently. Brett Yormark has said the Big 12 is open for business. He wants to shop knowing that now things are official beginning in 2024 that he only has 12 teams. Now he can go say, well, maybe we do pursue heavily a 16-team conference approach, and they go heavily after four teams in the Pac-12. Or the four. Oh, in the Pac-12. Yeah. Yes. Those are the – yes. I want four – just give me the four corners. That's what it means to me is it, it now gives Brett Yormark that much more motivation – to go and be aggressive because it's happening. It's happening a year early, so you can go and say with confidence to these other teams, we'll be 12 teams in the summer of 2024. Do you want to make us a 14-team conference? Do you want to make us a 16-team conference? Oregon, Washington, Arizona, Arizona State would be the ideal setup. Yes, because he wants to be publicly stated in four time zones. What if Cal and Stanford are interested? Would the Big 12 be interested in the Bay Area? To me, they're the fifth and sixth best options. But if it's the only option to get into that Pacific time zone and pull in Power 5 members, just maybe. 
Arizona and Arizona State have their own time zone, so I don't know if they apply. <laughs> Six months out Five of the year. time zones. I know. I call my mom, and I'm like, what time is it there? I like, no I forget. what time it is. Yeah, yeah, I know it's the same time right now. Yeah, oh, the Big 12 mean five time zones. There's Arizona and then across the board. But yeah, at least Oregon. it's not New Newfoundland, which is half an hour different. <laughs> I kid you not. That's real. It's very odd. They're the edge the of the province air. in Canada. Ask Tyler Haas. He played he Newfoundland played there. for a few months. <laughs> a very special experience for him when you talk to him about what it. What time is it? Uh, <laughs> it's like uh, 1.30 in the afternoon there. Right now it's 1.38. Yeah, yeah. Maybe. Wild. <laughs> Oregon what? and Washington yes, are absolutely the gems remaining yeah. in the Pac-12. For sure. If they are interested in joining the Big 12, then that absolutely would happen. Brett Yormark is like, yes, oh, we're up. come on in. That'd be amazing. Let's do this. And bring over the Arizona schools. We're a 16-team conference, and now it gets very interesting. Utah and Colorado are an interesting combination in the Intermountain West. Um, I know that there are people that feel like Colorado should go back to the Big 12 because the roots are there, like mm -hmm. they were – a longtime yeah. member of the Big 12. Big 8 and all that. And we've heard Joel Clad on Fox Sports, who's a prominent college football analyst, say he, Buffalo. he believes, and he has talked with, obviously because he's a Colorado guy, that he believes strongly that Colorado is in talks to join the Big 12. But is it a package deal with Utah? And does that mean that the Arizona schools come over? I don't know. But to me, this means that you can just more aggressively approach it. And yeah. I think at some point the Big 12 will become – a 16-team conference. It makes sense. That's, probably yeah. in the next three years. Yeah. If it's going to happen, it's probably going to happen sometime in the next three it's years. It's contingent on Oregon and Washington making a move or not. They want to go it, to the Big Ten, but the Big Ten has not invited them. So that tells me that they probably don't want them. Not right now. Yeah. Does something change? What's going to change? When BYU got the invite, it's because of another domino. So what other domino falls to induce more expansion? Uh, that's the question that I think uh, we need to find out, right? And what does the Pac-12 do? Is this all they need is two, t well, like one or two teams leave, and it changes everything. Then, then it becomes it could get weird, really, really. But if you're Washington State, you're like tough. Let's just stay here, guys. Everything Oregon State. Let's just everything's great, right? Even Cal and Stanford. Cal and Stanford have been less uh, powerful in this conversation than I could have ever imagined. How about that? You know, they're the, not the idea not of like players in this really, and specific markets. No oh, one's you, like, dude, we need you two. You get the Bay Area market. It's like, nah, the Bay Area is a pro sports market. It's not about Cal and Stanford. Have you been to games at Cal and Stanford? It's embarrassing. I'm embarrassed for those fan bases, and I feel bad for the teams that have to show up and play in front of no fans. They used to be more competitive in some of the higher profile sports. Obviously, Stanford's athletic program is one of the tops in the country. They're unbelievable, but we're talking about football mainly here. Really fun that BYU gets OU in Texas for a shot at conference championships for at least one year. Yeah. And then we see with expansion, but things are absolutely on the move with Brett Yormark in control. That dude is a mover and a shaker. He's a hustler. He doesn't just move or just shake. He, is, he is a hustler. Yeah. I wish there was more hustle from last night on the basketball court. How about two? Do we, ha we have to do this? We have to do this. Uh, what's the consequence of last night's 92-80 loss at Pepperdine? Oh, boy. Well, first and foremost, BYU now, if we're being realistic, I think the best they can hope for is a fifth-place finish in, in WCC. Top four's today. out. Top four's out. See ya. At St. Mary's, uh, who lost last night, by the way. Yes, LMU, LMU beat St. Mary's. So it's, it's Gonzaga within one game now, but you're going to lose Moraga and Spokane. So top four's out. Five seed, it will, seed. It will take something special. It will take a road win against one of the top two teams in conference to put BYU back in a scenario where they feel like 
maybe there's a shot at a top four seed. And we can't realistic, pre realistically project that right now. BYU just lost to a team that was 0-10 in league until Saturday. And they needed a miracle to win that game against Portland. They needed they a needed boneheaded a, uh, play by one. a guy who lost control of his emotions. Christian Scholland. In a late moment, right? Yeah. yeah. So sometimes all it takes is one win for a team to kind of taste that, and then they get on a run. But BYU knew that. They were an eight-point favorite going in. I had a bunch of people saying, Spencer, you said it was a shocking result. And I'm like, yeah, I'm still shocked by it because they're one in ten. Because they're one in ten in the league. And Why BYU wouldn't it be? is an eight-point favorite on the road. You, you, and BYU had just beat LMU by 28 the week before, and it looked great against Pacific. This team, however, uh, we know who they are on the road. We know who they are on the road, which is nothing close to what this BYU team is at home. And that until they do something different, that narrative was going to remain. So why should we expect BYU to all of a sudden show up and beat Gonzaga? Though some fans are saying that would be the most BYU thing ever, to lose at Pepperdine and then go and beat Gonzaga. Listen, not this when team. BYU beat Gonzaga before, they had some like real talent on the squad. Like there were a couple guys that would dabble in the NBA. Right in, in in these circles, whether it was Haas or Collinsworth, he does not have that guy on the roster at the moment. Now, in like four years, is Jackson Robinson like a G League? I don't know, but the, no, this is this is the least talented Mark Pope team, right? This team is trying to figure some things out. They're gonna they're gonna flirt with the NIT, maybe not getting it, but here it's it's tough. They're trying to battle through some of this. We've seen some real highs, we've seen some real lows. Um, okay, consequences. Fourth. Q3 or Q4 loss of the year. Yep. BYU the previous two years was 26-1. and one. Just didn't lose these type of games. Yeah. Now they're 11-4 and four this year in those games. Second worst loss by net rating, by the way. As of last night, 207 Pepperdine. South Dakota 3-12. That is the worst loss of the season, hands down. Don't argue with me. Now, I don't know what you're talking about. I've totally forgotten about that loss. BYU finishes 6-6 six <laughs> six at Pepperdine as a member of the West Coast Conference. So, worst record on the road in league as a member of the WCC. Two and nine in uh, Moraga. Yep. And then, what is it, three and eight in Spokane. Got the three years in a row, 15, mm -hmm. 16, 17, right? And then, uh, like you mentioned, probably going to be a five or six in the WCC tourney. NIT bubble. BYU's probably on the outs of the NIT at the moment. They have to climb in somehow. I looked last night again at last year's NIT. I didn't look at 21 because they did a shortened NIT, and then 2020 didn't have one. And I don't really care about 2019 at this point. There was only one team that had fewer than 21 wins that wasn't an automatic qualifier and not from a P6 league. It was Utah State okay. who had 18 wins. Everybody else that wasn't an automatic qualifier. What? There's automatic qualifier? If you're in a non-Power 6 league and you win the regular season, yeah, you're automatically you automatically in. qualify if you don't make win your tourney to get in the NCAA tournament. Uh, VCU and Santa Clara had 21 wins, and they got in. Santa Clara, by the way, was what? The three seed last year? The four, sorry, the four seed? Yeah. BYU was the five, I believe. Yeah, Pacing they, for that again. They had a really good year. Oh, by the way, they had a lottery pick in Jalen Williams of the Thunder, who's having a nice rookie season. It's going to be tough for BYU to make the NIT at this point. They got four games left, and uh, Santa Clara and San Francisco are the home games. BYU lost to those teams on the road. Maybe they show up at home and win, and I, I think They're going to, because certainly... BYU's a different team at home. And then uh, at St. Mary's and Gonzaga. Uh, so BYU is going to walk into Vegas probably 18 and 13 and need at least one win there to just just maybe make the NIT. And, and maybe not making the NIT sort of shakes things in a way that BYU needs going to the Big 12. I don't know. 
I never liked seeing BYU struggle, but I've mentioned this before. BYU needed 2017 to get to 2020 and 21. They needed to shake things up to get to those points. Like, you needed a restart. I don't know exactly what that looks like with men's basketball at this point, but certainly BYU needs to increase its talent and prepare itself for uh, the Big 12. Final thought on, on last night. BYU will never have a loss like that ever again, Spence. Because they won't have because to play a game like that in, in the Big 12, you will swallow a loss at West Virginia or Oklahoma or Baylor Medicine's differently a lot easier to take. than friggin' Pepperdine. Medicine's we will a lot never have a loss like that again. Join the conversation 24-7 on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook using the hashtag BYUSN. The best of BYU Sports Nation rolls on after this. Get caught up in the week in Cougar Sports. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation. Cougar Whip Around presented by Marisk, your e-commerce logistics shipping partner. It was great. What would a second Super Bowl win for Andy Reid mean for his legacy? Well, he's already a first ballot Hall of Famer. Absolutely. In, in a strange way, I, I feel like he doesn't need it to further his legacy, but I mean, it, it's just... No, he's used Super Bowls for the legacy. Yeah, two, two is greater than one. Um, but when you're already a first ballot Hall of Famer, like, great. If he wins two, awesome. Two Super Bowls is greater than one. That's about it. Couple notes. Uh, 13 coaches have won two plus. So he joined, he'd become the 14th. Okay. He's coached the second most playoff games ever. That's Bill wild. Belichick. That's wild. Um, and he's tied for the second most conference championship games with 10. That's pretty wild. Maybe he becomes this the is, top five coach all time if he wins two. I don't know if he cracks that quite yet because there are some incredible names there. But, like, Andy is in that conversation once he gets two. Like, one is awesome, you know, uh, but two, like, now, now you couldn't stumble into that, right? You couldn't just be the coach of a team that won as opposed to a great coach like Andy is. Yeah, getting two I think is really important and awesome. And, again, at some point he passed Lavelle as, as like, a better coach than Lavelle. I know that's, like, blasphemy around here. But he stood on Lavelle's shoulders and continued to build that. He'll never, really he'll never say that either about himself. He'll, he'd never say Ever. it. But it's really special to see that he has done that at the next level, which has been awesome to watch. Yeah, it'll be interesting. If he wins two, then we can have that conversation. Where does that put Andy Reid all time among all of the NFL great coaches? That's a fun conversation. On to the next topic. This is also fun. Yoli Childs produced a magical dunk the other night. It's part of a fantastic play in a Euro Cup game against Lon the London Lions. My question is, which dunk, Never dunk on the London which dunk is better? This one in the Euro Cup? I mean, oh, okay? Taking a pass that went through the wickets of a big man, okay? Or is it the epic throwdown against Utah? I'm, what do you think, Jeremy? I'm offended by the question. I am I'm truly offended by the question. You're it's, offended? It's always Utah. It doesn't take much to offend you, then. One, it's a better dunk. <laughs> And two, it's against Utah. Like, the dunk itself is better. Yes. And it's Utah. The dunk the dunk is better. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your oh, soul. Okay, come on. The dunk for BYU against Utah is better. The play overall is better in Euro Cup. I do love a crisp bounce pass. Through the legs of a defender, by the way. Yeah. The pass goes through what? the legs of a defender. What? London Lions? Who the beep is that? Well, they're a professional basketball team, apparently. Professional. They're in Euro Cup. Never heard of them until today, Euro and they Cup. just got dunked on.
The best of BYU Sports Nation will be back after this on BYU Radio. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. You can probably guess who we're going to talk to. Yeah, and we're going to do so as she joins us from Puerto Vallarta in Mexico. Violet Zavodnik is back on BYU Sports Nation. Violet, great to have you back on the show. Um, (laughs) Obviously, we're very jealous that we are not (laughs) with the team in Mexico enjoying the sunshine, but how's Puerto Vallarta overall? It's beautiful. The weather is amazing. Literally the dream. Like it's 80 degrees and I'm not shivering. I'm not cold. I'm wearing shorts and a t-shirt. That's awesome. Um, Are we going to see more gritties over uh, home plate this year? Because that was pretty fun to watch right there. I tweaked my home run just a little Mm. bit. I'm experimenting on what I'm doing. It's going to be a secret, but if I don't like what it is, I'll go back to the gritty. But if not, (laughs) you're going to have to tune in for my new celebration. Can't wait. I like that you have thought about this. this I, fully, I fully support that. Uh, and hopefully you get a chance to debut it uh, in, in Puerto Vallarta. Before the hopefully, games yeah. begin, uh, hopefully you and the team have had some time to relax. Um, how, do you, how do you balance this type of trip, which is fun, in great weather, and knowing that the start of your season approaches quickly? It's more of like this is your last opportunity to kind of enjoy yourself before we go four months and it's like softball, softball, softball. So like right now we got one day to kind of like relax by the pool. And then for me, that was my one day. Now I'll do homework and then just kind of mentally prepare myself. Are you fluent in Spanish yet? Uh, no, <laughs> not even close. <laughs> Enough to order a couple tacos maybe? Pretty much, yeah, that's about it. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, certainly the first two years for you at BYU have been spectacular. It's been super fun to watch. You're one of the best players BYU's ever had. And now we're entering your upper class, uh, junior and senior years, which will be exciting. What have you worked on to continue to improve your game now heading into your junior year? I think now I just kind of, like, still be myself because I lost myself and mentally it was kind of drained last year in the preseason. And I think now I just wanted to be a stronger me. And then in my role now on the team, I just feel like, I'm kind of that older sister to these younger teammates showing that, like, it's okay, this and that, and then just kind of being myself through everything. Violet, you and the Cougars tied for the regular season West Coast Conference Championship last year, but via tiebreaker did not get the automatic bid to the tournament, did not go to the postseason. How has that impacted the way that you have trained and prepared for this season? Definitely different. I think when Coach Todd came in as our assistant, he completely said, like, why not us? Like, why are we not good enough to go to this NCAA tournament? And it changed all of us and our mindset because we don't want to feel that way again. We don't want to feel let down and we don't want to feel destroyed because we didn't make our opportunity. And so we've trained now better than ever. And this team and our coaching staff is probably one of the best I've seen person I've played with. And we've all come out like this game is our last game. We're putting all our effort in. Like every team that we have is our new rival. We have the next game, new rival. The game after that, new rival. Like, we're coming at a different mindset. And you start the season with some real challenging games, North Carolina and Wisconsin among them. You guys always play a super tough schedule. How does that help you to just play good teams right away? It's more of, like, preparation for the postseason because with our conference, like, we have a good conference, but it's not, like, the Power 5 teams or, like, the big school teams. So it's always preparing us for things that we can't handle or things that, we've never seen before. So it's preparing us for postseason. It's preparing us for our season in general because that excitement of winning these games and winning, having a winning streak and all that gives us so pumped and give us so much energy and puts us ready for season. And then we go through season and we go through postseason and we're going to rock and postseason. So 
What's an attainable goal for this team in the non-conference schedule? You play so many games. We all know that you're not going to win every game. Not even Oklahoma and that ridiculous crew that they had last year won every game. <laughs> so what, what's an attainable goal? I feel like for me and for what I think this team is, I think for us, we want to be known. Like I feel like a lot of people see us as like a team that can compete and has a lot of energy, but we want to be known as a team that's not going to like lose. We're not going to put down a fight. Like we're going to go until every inning, every out, we're going to push everyone to their limits. Like it's not going to just be like a game that you can easily win. Like we're a tough team. We're going to be a tough You had a thousand field beat percentage last year. No errors. Is that uh, fair to say you can keep that up for another year? That's incredible. I'm crossing my fingers, hoping. I mean, if I can error, I can error. That's amazing. And then, uh, obviously, a lot of returners, uh, Hunter Ava, Martha Epinesa, Chloe Temple's on the preseason team, and lots uh, behind them. How are you feeling about this group this year and trying to get back to the NCAA tournament? This team is amazing. I think with all returners and all of our newbies or transfers, we have so much debt. Like, if one of us goes down, one of us can fill a role, and it would, like, be no one left. It's our pitching staff is good. Our hitting is good. Our defense is good. Like everything is working smoothly. And I don't think I've been on a team with so much chemistry where our coaches are obviously supporting us to everything. And it's just unbelievable to see that our team, no matter what, like it's a core, like no one can break us. Vila Zavodnik, star softball player, is joining us from Puerto Vallarta, Mexico. BYU getting set to open their season shortly. Violet, D1 softball said that you're the 28th best softball player in the entire country. We had you top 25, but that's another list. Yeah, we'll just throw that out there. Okay, We had you a little bit higher. Uh, point remains, those are some lofty accolades, and, and you have earned it. I thought you should have been the WCC Player of the Year again last year. That didn't happen. Whatever. Um, how, do you, how do you handle those type of preseason marks and accolades and not let it affect you or, or bring the undue pressure that you don't want? I feel like for me, like I've looked at it as something like, not that I care, like I don't care about it. It's more like I'm doing this for my family. So when I get those preseason things or all of this, like I feel very proud for my family because I'm doing it for them. But when I go my mindset, it's more of like, I'm not that 28 person. Like I'm just playing my game. Like nothing matters. Let me just play with my team, have some fun and like enjoy the sport. Like I've been doing for a long time. So like the 28th, or the 25, like, it doesn't really affect me as much because I try not to think about it and just try to be better than I was last year. Certainly you've got an important season coming up this year, but next year in the Big 12 is going to be incredible, especially with Oklahoma and Texas in there. What's kind of a big-picture thought about what it will be like to play in that league next year? I thought it would be so cool. I mean, as a little kid, we've dreamed about playing, like, big schools, and we play them once in a while in our preseason and season comes, and – then postseason comes and we play maybe like one or two out of them. But I'm so excited and our team is so excited. And everything about it is just like a dream come true because we've worked so hard to get to where we are in the WCC. But now we're in the Big 12 and we're going to work even harder to know that we're not just some little team. Like we're a big team and we deserve to be here. Baylor got a taste a couple years ago. Yeah. Oh, yeah, they did. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes, they did. And Iowa State not too long before yeah. that. We've, we've had no, some of yeah. this Big 12 competition. <laughs> But for the time being, it's the West Coast Conference. This is your finale tour in the WCC. And again, LMU got that auto bid. They tied for first. Is it fair to say there is a rivalry now with LMU in the WCC? For sure. I don't think, like, we've ever had a big rivalry besides Utah. And, like, LMU is always, like, 
a game where it's every time it's very nerve wracking because you're like, you have to win. Like this is the championship and stuff like that. But after that game, I know for a fact we made more rivals than we've ever had because it was just so like destroying us. And like, it felt so bad that now it's like, we're going to like, we're going to beat them and it's not going to be a question about it. I love, love, uh, hey, love the confidence. Hey, can't wait for April 14th and 15th right now. I'll tell you that. Let's, let's go. <laughs> hey, Violet, let's give you some BYU Sports Nation karma for uh, your trip in Mexico and for the games, the beginning of the season. Take it, distribute it to your teammates. Have a great time and good luck with all of your games. That wraps up the best of BYU Sports Nation this week. Tune in next Saturday for the Cougar news you need to hear. And catch the BYU Sports Nation simulcast every day at noon Eastern, 9 Pacific on BYU TV and BYU Radio.